I'll begin by reading verse 1 of chapter 5, if you would take verse 2, and so forth on through verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes and he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Verse 2. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Amen for verse 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises, for your word, for the precious and gentle work of your spirit this morning for healing, for comfort, for conviction. Lord, we are gathering this morning to ask you to receive our worship and to speak to our lives. We trust that you will do that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the title of this morning's message is that the times and seasons have a reason. It is to pick up on the Apostle Paul's uh, emphasis here in the fifth chapter of the first letter to the Thessalonians. I draw your attention again to verse 1, where Paul said that concerning the times and the seasons, that he had no need really to write to them. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but what becomes clear to us is that God has authored uh, the reality of time and seasons in human history and has recorded that that authorization in scripture. Time, for instance, and seasons are two different things that project or are concerned with two different ends. Time draws attention to the duration of a period. Uh, Is it a long period of time, a short period of time? And forces the reality of the time continuum in which we live. The fact that the times and seasons have a reason is brought out in this passage that Paul makes clear there are reasons that God has authored various uh, segments of time and various seasons in human history. And I'd like to draw those Uh, reasons out for us this morning in the hopes that when we leave we can ask ourselves does uh, does our life line up with these scriptural reasons for the things that God has placed in order of time and in seasons the first reason for time and season has to do with reminding us of our mortality As I said, 
time draws attention to the duration of a period. Is it a long period of time? Is it a short period of time? And when it comes to our mortality, how long we're going to live here on planet Earth, when we come into the world, we are immediately faced with the fact of time. We don't live forever while we're here. And it is interesting that our Father, God, knows uh, the beginning from the end. He actually is outside of what we would call this time continuum in which we live. Let me give you an example. Just a few weeks back, we had our local and annual Valley Springs Parade. It's a great event. Uh, many of the businesses and schools and choirs and that sort of thing take it upon themselves to celebrate this time of year and put together a, a routine or a float or something, and they, they come down uh, the main street there, and we get to stand on the side and, and watch them come. Now envision yourself that you are uh, at the beginning of the parade. You see them warming up. And you see the first uh, group come through. And then you see the second group come through. And you see the third group come through. Well, at the end of the parade, they haven't seen anything yet. They're still waiting, waiting, waiting. And then Far off in the distance, they can see the first group coming. And then, you know, it gets there. And then toward the end of the line, they see the second and third. But then you're at the beginning, and the whole thing is passed in front of you. That's a, a practical way of understanding the time continuum in which we live. If you were in a helicopter, you would be able to look at the very beginning and see the very end. And our God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Revelation, uh, Revelation 1.8. I'm the Alpha and the beginning. The beginning and the end, he says, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty Revelation 21.6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. You see, God is outside of time. He's outside of this time continuum in which we live, but he has set time in place so that once we enter the world, we understand there is a reason for this time in which we live. And that reason is to immediately cause mankind to face their mortality. We can look backwards and see history. We can think forward, but we can't really know what's coming in the future. But as Men and women that are followers of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are also supposed to be able to discern the times and the seasons in which we live. 
Jesus rebuked the leaders of his day in Matthew 16, 1 through 3, and said that they, they did not understand. They're the spiritual leaders are supposed to understand the times and the seasons. Now, as I said, time draws attention to duration. Season draws attention to the characteristics of a period. Uh, as in nature, God has given characteristics to season that we're all familiar with. We're right now in our winter season. Uh, it is often referred to or looked upon as the cold time of the year to eventually flip around and come now to spring, which often is reflective of new life, new, new birth, moving into the summer, which often is reminded by the heat of the day and the length of the day that again slips itself into fall, which speaks of a time of preparing, getting ready for the winter again to come. And not to be too metaphorical about it, but in life as well, we have these seasons, winter seasons of our life that are, uh, we're confronted with dark and cold hardships. In the spring of our lives, we're often blessed with new life and, and new things that come. We, we get into the core of, of the grind and we're there in the summer, working through the heat of the day and then the fall of our life comes again and we know it's time to prepare for winter. Yes, beloved, the first reason for the times and the season is to remind us of our mortality. Secondly, this morning, Paul talks about that the Thessalonians knew perfectly well. I draw your attention to verse 2. He says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The second reason for the times and the season is to remind us of his first coming, Jesus' advent, and brings to our attention the promise of his second coming. In Acts chapter 17, we're given the history of the church of Thessalonica. If you've ever never read that, it's, it's such an important and uh, beautiful dictation of how Paul came to Thessalonica and that he was there a very short time, we believe, about three weeks. But yet within those three weeks, short time, Paul taught the Thessalonians greatly about who Jesus is and about his return. They were proficient in prophetic matters about the second coming. That's why he said, you know perfectly concerning the times and the seasons, that I have no need to write. Well, why write? Because he wants to move them along to something else. This time of the year for us, particularly those who celebrate Christmas, reminds us of Jesus' first advent. 
his coming. The carols remind us, the, the Christmas cards remind us, so many things outside of the commercial environment remind us of God sending his son as a savior to the world. His first coming. But that also begs the question again, that was it a one-time thing? Is, it, is he ever going to come again? Is, is this it? And it prompts us to be reminded that there is the promise of a second coming. I draw your attention to two words in that verse where he says, uh, verse 2, you yourselves know perfectly, I want you to draw your attention to that word, and the word uh, thief, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The word perfectly really can be transliterated as completely. You know completely, Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. And so to you and I as Christians this morning, we too, whether we've been walking with the Lord for three weeks, three years, 30 or 60, we should know completely, fully, about the coming of the day of the Lord. Now think about how a thief will work. You ever been ripped off? You ever had anything stolen from? You ever had your house violated by someone entering? Horrible feeling. Does that thief warn you that he's coming? No. No way. And yet you may, you may become aware of signs. Say it's at night and Paul gets into the, the metaphor of of night and day, but say it's at night, you hear a dog barking that doesn't usually bark. You hear a door rattle that shouldn't be rattling. Warning signs that something or someone is seeking to enter and violate your peace and your possession. And Paul says that the coming of the day of the Lord is going to be like that. You're not going to have a, a specific warning by that thief. But you, O Thessalonians, you, O Christians of Valley Springs, should be able to discern the times and the seasons in which we live. The phrase, the day of the Lord, um, is a very familiar phrase in the Old Testament. Now remember, when Paul was writing this letter to the Thessalonians, they didn't have their New Testament Bible. In fact, in Judaism, they basically had the scrolls. The, the Gospels would have just maybe started to have been formed and gotten around, but it would have been Old Testament writ that anyone in Judaism or otherwise would have been more familiar with. And the phrase, the coming of the day of the Lord, was a very familiar phrase in Old Testament. It referred to three things. Uh, when God would come and judge his enemies. Secondly, that God would deliver his people. And thirdly, he would establish his kingdom. The day of the Lord meant God would judge his enemies, deliver his people, and establish his kingdom. Now think of the return 
of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, now not as Savior, but as judge, he is going to judge, ultimately, those who are the adversary of God, the enemy of the true and the living God. But at the same time, not, not chronologically, but in the same coming of the day of the Lord, which is a, a, a multiple of processes, he's going to deliver his people. It's called the rapture. And we'll be taken up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with him. And after that last and final seven years of, of three and a half years of peace, when they say peace and safety, and then three and a half years of tribulation, the great tribulation, such as the world has never seen before, after that seven years, Christ will come again and establish his kingdom on earth. So the second reason for the, the times and the seasons is to remind us of his first coming which reminds us that he's coming again. Thirdly this morning, the reason for the times and the season, I draw your attention to verse 3. Paul writes, he says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The third reason for the times and the seasons is to be watchful for his next coming. To be ready, to be looking. And that one of the calling cards, if you will, that his coming is, is very, very close is that there will be a general sense in, in the unbelieving world of how to attain peace and how to attain safety. It will be a global thing. And if you look at just the last hundred years of history, of how communication, technology, so many things have pushed human history forward to a time when we now can understand a global approach to things. There are entities of society that would much rather save a whale than save a child. There are entities of society that believe this planet is more important than people. There are entities of society that think this thing is just going to move, move forward, and we're going to arrive at some uh, a theoretical, ethereal point in time if, you know, if we manage the population correctly, if we, if we form the right kind of government, that we'll arrive at peace and safety. Listen to me, beloved. It's not going to come through human effort. The government's of this world will not give us peace and safety. The sciences of this world will not give us peace and safety. The militaries of this world will not give us peace and safety, but they will tell you it's here. And what Paul says is that those who profess that, they shall not escape. Who is the they? 
They is the one who has rejected Christ. Who has rejected the truth of scripture. The one who has refused to receive the gospel. And Paul declares that there's a difference between the they and you and I. In verse 4, he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. You are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Will you say that with me? But let us watch and be sober. The third reason for the signs of the times and the seasons is to keep us watching, to keep us looking, to keep us anticipating his second coming. And this season is not It's not about the jolly old red man. Somehow we've we've traversed this holiday into other things than the gospel. I believe... uh, that the Santa Claus thing, there's three movies, Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3. I believe that the Santa Claus thing is really a diversion. Um, in some ways it feels or can seem innocent. I don't know if you practice you know, the coming of Santa Claus in your home or not. If you do and, and that's your choice, privilege, God bless you. Uh, we've started at a young age with our kids and grandkids, that it's about Jesus. And you think of the innocence of a child at this time. Uh, so often that innocence is, is focused upon how sweet a child, the giving of a gift, um, jolly old St. Nick's. There's a Christian pop song. There's a little bit more of heaven everywhere. You've heard that one. And that this time of year, just something unique happens. But, but if it boils down to uh, the spirit of giving or, you know, jolly old St. Nick, or it's just, it's just a, a nice time, then have we not missed the centrality of the fact of the gospel? To watch and be ready for his second coming. Think with me for a moment. How many of you have ever uh, helped a young child cross the street for the first time? You remember what that was like? You grab that young child's hand and you walk up to the curb. You say, whoa, stop. And the child's like, look at it. And you say, very important that you look both ways and watch carefully that there's no vehicle. So let's do that. And we look, and we look to the, and then we cross, right? The sensitivity of that moment of the importance of, of looking and watching. 
How many of you remember some of your first driving lessons and what you had to do to convince that DMV guy or gal that you were ready for your license? You get ready to, to pull out into traffic, no stop, blinker on, look in your rearview mirror, look in your side mirror, then look again over your shoulder and pull. The sensitivity of watching, looking, being ready. This is the same kind of language that Paul is, is saying here. No, you're not of the, of the night. You're sons of light, sons of the day. Therefore, don't sleep, but let us watch. With the same kind of intensity as a child crossing the road for the first time. The same kind of intensity of pulling out into the traffic for the first time ever. Lord, are you coming? Man, isn't it easy to get swept up in the, the fun, camaraderie, and joy of this time of year? I, I'm, I get swept up in it myself, and I am in it. But there's that part of us as Christians is, is, is as we're enjoying this time, and we're seeing others kind of come along in a, in a, you know, helping somebody else in a grocery line or paying it forward or all because why? It's Christmas. It's Christ mass. To watch and be ready for his second coming. There's a fourth reason. In verse 7, well, let's read on. Uh, Seven, he says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Seven through eleven. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. The fourth and final reason that I give this morning for the times and the seasons have a reason is to remind us in this period of time and this season of life, wherever you are, is that there are to be differences. There should be differences in our lives as Christians that are visible to the unbelieving world. When Paul says here in uh, verse 7, those who sleep, sleep at night, He's speaking metaphorically of a spiritual sleep. Those who refuse to be awakened spiritually. Those who um, are just asleep spiritually. Jesus spoke of this very same like spiritual unconsciousness 
To those that would say they would follow him, he said in Luke 21, 34, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that the day come on you unexpectedly. Speaking of spiritual lethargy, Paul to the Christians in Rome in Romans 13, 13, he said, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He echoed those same sentiments to the Christians in Ephesus, when Paul wrote in Ephesus 5.14, Ephesians 5.14, he said, Therefore the Lord says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're talking about spiritual lethargy. Not being concerned with spiritual things. Not being willing to mature and grow. Not being willing to be confronted about unchristlike characteristics in our lives. Not being willing to watch for his coming. Being too comfortable with just, you know, day-to-day routine. I'm going to heaven when I die. Right now, I'm just kind of living my life. The times and the season that we're in are to remind us that there's to be a visible, tangible, speakable, touchable, relational difference. That others who are unbelievers, who don't know Christ, can see your sense. Someone was sharing with us recently that when, when we as Christians talk to unbelievers, you don't have to give them, you know, uh, all the spiritual truths in Romans. You don't have to lay out for them the entire gospel. That sometimes when we just talk about God, we talk about church, we talk about fellowship, that to an unbeliever, those things are huge. To an unbeliever, just the concept of going to church or just the concept of allegiance to the true and the living God or the concept of Christian fellowship, it's foreign to them. Don't be afraid to talk about God with an unbeliever. You never know. They might come to faith later. Paul is talking about spiritual lethargy when he says, those who sleep, they sleep at night. Now he talks about the adverse effects of alcohol as well. When he says, but those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And he's not using a metaphor there. He's talking about the real adverse effects of alcohol upon the life. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? <laughs> Woo! Hold on. 
Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. We're talking about alcohol. When Daniel was with Belshazzar, he records for us that the king made a great feast to thousands of his lords and they drank wine before the thousands. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, of silver, brass, and iron, wood, and stone. And at that same hour, fingers came of a man's hand and wrote on the wall. Paul, in writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, tells him in 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink water only, but use, keyword use, a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. And there the shift in the New Testament to the consumption of alcohol for the Christian is medicinal rather than recreational. If you're a Christian this morning here, or you're listening on YouTube, watching this on TV, as a Christian, every Christian has the right, if you want to call it that, to consume some alcohol. But the question becomes, why are you consuming it? What is the purpose? The Apostle Paul, whom many of us that follow the Lord would say, man, you know, I, I can't quite be like Jesus, although the Bible tells us to let the person of Christ be seen through us. Sometimes we'll go, I'll take the next step, which is let me be like Paul or let me be like a Timothy or, or John or one of the apostles. Or sometimes we just want to be like a Stephen or uh, the Lystra. You know, we're not going to shoot for all the way up there, maybe not even second tier. We'll go third, fourth tier. And we're, we're okay with that. Scripture encourages that. You know, just... Give unto the Lord all of yourself. But Paul writes about this issue of consuming something that I as a Christian have the right to do. It's not, I'm not told not to do this in holy writ. But Paul comes to the conviction that if something I do can cause my brother or my sister to stumble, he says, then I won't do it. If you're taking note this morning, 1 Corinthians 8.13, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. And so as we come to Paul's conversation on the adverse of alcohol, if you drink this morning, why do you drink? We're told in Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, 
but rather be filled. And the grammar there is, but be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. Can alcohol really do something for you that the Spirit of God would not override? As far as causing someone to stumble, is it a small thing to deny yourself something that you know you may even have control on? But if that young believer were to come into your home and see you partaking of something that they stumble in, that you could cause them stumbling... Paul's not being metaphorically here. He's saying flat out, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But you, notice, he says in verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of what? Faith and love and the helmet, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. What things in this life What substances in this life are actually going to increase you and I in our our ability to reflect Christ to others, be a witness to others, and really be a voice of the times and seasons in which we're living? Now, it's a personal conviction, but it's also a biblical injunction. And each one has to come to it. He says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, who died for us. Notice, there should be a physical difference, a visible, physical, tangible, relational difference between us and the unbeliever, something that the unbeliever would be attracted to, maybe because once in a while we use the word God or church or uh, Christianity but more so because of the nature of the character of the person of Christ in us. That he died for us, verse 10, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I love what the Paul brothers wrote in this song. Heard it the other day and went, man, that's it. The lyrics go like this. It's not about the manger where the baby lay. It's not all about the angels who sing for him that day. It's not all about the shepherds or the bright and shining star. It's not all about the wise men who traveled from afar. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about the stone that was rolled away so that you and I could have real life someday. It's about the cross. It's not about the good things in life that I have done. It's not all about the treasures or the trophies that I have won. It's not about the righteousness that I find within. It's all about his precious blood that saved me from my sin. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about the stone that was rolled away so that you and I could have real life someday. 
It's about the cross. The reason for the times and the season. That there's a visible difference, tangible, relational, dark versus light, slumber, lethargy versus awake and watching, drunken, drunk, sober, unaware, and looking. He says in verse 11, therefore comfort each other and edify another, one another, just as you also are doing. So Paul says, hey, this, this is something you already know, but go ahead and share it with others. Go ahead and continue to say it. Go ahead and continue to edify, build up one another with these truths. So I close this morning by simply saying, are you reminded in this time and season of your mortality? It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Are you ready to take your last breath? Have you committed and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Asked him to forgive you of your sin? You can do that right now as we close. And if you have done that, if for some reason this morning it's hitting you, wait a minute, I, I, I might not see tomorrow. We know too well how that reality has taken place here. Then the Spirit of God would say to you right now, invite him in. I ask you also, if you're focused on that he came, are you thinking about the fact he's coming again? A second reason for this time and season is to be reminded that there's a promise of his second coming, which produces a hope and a longing that nothing in this life can fill because it's, it's an expectation of what is to come. Thirdly, are you poised, positioned, so that you are watching? Have you taken up the spiritual telescope, if you will? Set it in place so that your mind is on the things that are going on in this world around us in preparation for our Savior's return. And lastly... Are there differences that others see, they can relate to, and they're attracted to because of who Jesus is in, in you? I think those are clearly reasons for this time and this season. Pray we would ask ourselves that question those questions as we go through this week, as we launch into the year ahead. Perhaps we can even ask ourselves those questions today. Will you join me as we pray?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great grace in our life this morning. Because it is all about grace. Nothing that we can do to deserve the love that you have displayed and demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And that this time and this season, this Sunday morning in which we are right on the heels of the celebration of Christmas 2021, that we are rightfully and, and pleasantly reminded of the reasons. You came to save. You're coming again as judge. Make us a bride ready, O Lord. Cause us to be different by the work of your Holy Spirit. You are the one that we praise. You are the one that we bless. You are the one that we love. You are our, our Father, Almighty, Infinite Savior. Lord, we simply want to bring you pleasure. We ask that you would hear our heart today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.